This is Lost or Found, the podcast where we think about how we can live healthier, happier, and more fulfilled lives. The contents of this podcast and website are for informational purposes only and are not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition and before undertaking any diet, dietary supplement, exercise, or other health program. And now, here's the host of the show, Dr. Michelle Choi. Happy summer, folks, and thank you for joining the show today as we talk about fertility and infertility. I was laughing at myself the other day when I had a revelation. I realized that by having started the podcast, I was recording my midlife crisis on audio, like forever to remember. My kids can listen to my podcast one day in the future and can be like, that was the year mama lost her shit. I gave up my stable yet unsatisfying career last year. I worked nights in the hospital to make ends meet. I'm dealing with my emotions that led me to my breaking point, and I'm dealing with what has arisen through the process. And sometimes when one makes elective changes in life, you wonder if there's an aspect of yourself that was broken, or could it be it was meant to be broken? Anyway, good broken or bad broken, it still sucks anyway, but the matter of perspective is helpful. With a better perspective, there's movement with hope for the future. I also decided this summer I was going to change my perspective a little. I reached the six-month anniversary of the podcast release. And the truth is, I'm a nerd and I have an overthinking, can-make-myself-crazy analytical mind. In this modern day where data is so accessible, I can tell how many listeners I have. And well, it's not a lot. I've been consistently doing social media to put myself out there. And it can be frustrating when you don't know if the information is getting anywhere. And maybe it is, and things take time, and maybe it isn't. And well, growing takes growing. But anyway, I decided to change my thinking. I started my podcast due to my midlife crisis, to do something that was meaningful to me in terms of finding the actual truth behind health and happiness. But if I started this podcast because of my midlife crisis, maybe the podcast is actually for me, for my own health and happiness. Maybe I don't need anyone else's approval, but only my own. Maybe I don't need to make things more confusing for myself and just focus on the truth. And if I'm enjoying and loving what's being said on this podcast, well, perhaps that's good enough, at least for now. This plan doesn't give me an indication of how my long-term plan will turn out, but maybe that's okay, this not knowing. Maybe if I love it, that's a good sign and others can follow. I explained to myself, I enjoy the process now and I will find out the rest later. And if I need to make some change of the plans later, I'm intelligent enough to make them. It's like my humor. When I was younger, I felt like I boxed myself into a container. I perhaps shut down more than lived. It was during college that I realized I actually had a sense of humor. I would have these funny phrases that would pop up into my head or these unique comebacks or observations, 
but I always interrupted the execution of the statement as I literally found myself hilarious. I would laugh first at myself, my own joke as soon as I said it, before anyone else could respond. In some regards, I was my biggest fan. And well, maybe that's all I have to be right now, my biggest fan. And for today's show, we'll be talking about fertility and infertility. There are so many hardships that people have and share. Sometimes I wish we were just more honest about it. Instead of pretending like life is always good and a what problem, one of those topics that is much more common than you think is fertility and infertility. My husband and I had been together for nine years before we decided to have a Quaker marriage, which is basically signing some papers in Philadelphia for $75 and submitting it to the court, and voila, you're married. When we decided that the timing was right for us in our careers to have babies, I had such a difficult time conceiving. We tried for well over a year before I got pregnant with my son. I never anticipated that problems would occur conceiving. I was in my earlier 30s. I wondered if there was a possibility that I had waited too long. I felt frustrated. I wondered how 20-year-olds or even teens got pregnant so easily when I wanted this baby so badly. I felt sad. I felt like a failure. And I didn't even tell any of my friends. And of course, I blamed myself. Although I don't think my husband blamed himself. And having sex to conceive a baby when you can't conceive a baby, stops being fun and it feels almost desperate. To have sex at the appropriate times to maximize the likelihood of getting pregnant, it's unfun work. I would use multiple ovulation calculators and calendars to estimate my fertility window to increase my chances of conception. And every month, I was so disappointed when my period would come. I was mentally preparing for IVF when I stopped working nights. My first job out of residency, I worked nights in a hospital full-time. My shifts were 12 hours long, from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m., and they were scheduled in bulk, meaning I would work four to five nights in a row before having some time off to do it all over again. You would recover to do it all over again. When people are awake, I would be sleeping, and there's always a chronic level of being tired when you work nights. But it was easier back then. I didn't have kids. I could sleep when I needed to and wake up when I wanted. I didn't have to also run a household. I preferred night shifts back then because although the hours are not optimal, there's less bureaucratic stuff to deal with at night. I admit patients into the hospital from the ER. I assess them and start their work up. I am available for questions and issues that arise in the hospital or emergencies. At night, you don't have to deal with the endless paperwork from patient care, like discharge summaries or worry about placement, etc. But this lifestyle was really hard on my body. Not sleeping well, confusing my circadian rhythm, which is our internal process that regulates the sleep-wake cycle and repeats roughly every 24 hours, was hard on my health. But I didn't know that until I had changed jobs and went back to working days when I became pregnant. In the limited time during an office visit with a doctor, a lot is not being said. A lot may not be asked about what's going on in your life to contribute to what's going on in your life. But what if there are more obvious answers than you think? 
things that we can change. In the way medical care is practiced these days, it seems like we like to go to the more expensive procedures first. But what if there are things that we can address for the same outcome without going through a procedure? Things to think about. But maybe it could be more empowering and also life-changing in the long term. Today, we have Dana Ramsey on the show. Dana is a certified nurse midwife and has spent the past 15 years helping women find solutions to their gynecology, pregnancy, postpartum, and menopausal challenges. In addition, she has her master's in nursing with a specialty in women's health and midwifery from Yale University. She is based in Santa Cruz, California, and provides holistic reproductive medical services to women and couples. You can find her at NurtureSantaCruz.com. Thank you so much for being here, Dana. Welcome to Lost or Found. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks for having me. This is a really fun interview. I'm excited to talk with you. And what an honor. Thank you. And before we begin, can you tell us about yourself? Sure. My name is Dana Ramsey. I um, was born and raised in Santa Cruz, California. Um, I am currently practicing in a private practice in Capitola, soon to move to SoCal, and um, left corporate medicine about a year and a half ago uh, to pursue my dream to offer women-centered women's health care and fertility. And so have been doing that for about the past year and a half. Um, made it through COVID. <laughs> uh, I have three children at home, um, twin boys that are seven and a daughter that's 12 and um, and a wonderful husband that has supported me all the way. Um, we've actually been together since high school. We both <laughs> went to, we went, we both went to SoCal High here in Santa Cruz and um, so supported me all the way through graduate school. And now we're just doing this life, this crazy life with kids. And we both own our own businesses and um, and just trying to live a very intentional life here in Santa Cruz. Um, it's very easy to get wrapped up in all sorts of um, things associated with what other people think. And so we've really tried to focus these past few years on doing things that are purposeful and intentional. And for me, just providing the best care possible I can to the women and families in our community. I love that. Living in meaning and working in meaning. That's right. How beautiful. Absolutely. And as we begin, does lifestyle affect our fertility? Absolutely. Um, I think that's a great question, mainly because I think it's a part of fertility care that us in Western medicine don't always touch on. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a really missed opportunity to um, discuss with women, even in the early stages of their fertility journey, um, how their lifestyle, which, you know, is a broad term to encompass diet, stress level, sleep, relationships, um, mobility, exercise, mobility, and um, it just, it gets missed. Mm -hmm. I think it gets missed a lot in medicine in general. And I think there's a great opportunity to refocus um, around that as a foundation in fertility care. Um, because it can only make everything else we do 
or need to do beyond that work better. I totally agree because sometimes I wonder with like the 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 number of resources in our world now, you yeah. know, there's so much there's so much distraction that I think sometimes we hyper focus on something when we forget mm-hmm. the bigger picture. But the bigger picture is still important. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I think that we're very I think we've become quite procedure focused in medicine, um, especially in the specialties. And so it's about checking the boxes and moving through procedures as opposed to checking in with a patient Mm -hmm. and then sort of making an individualized plan that's going to best suit where they are in their journey. I totally agree. I think asking those who, what, when, where, and why questions are still really important. They're the most important. It is. And we can avoid procedures possibly we absolutely can so again i think it's an untapped resource Mm -hmm. and i just think it's something that patients appreciate it it slows things down during the visit and allows them to focus on something that they understand that they can actually reflect on i feel like it grounds the patient better in things that they have control over as opposed to things being done to them that they don't actually understand and don't necessarily have um, a basis for understanding about. Um, I had a great visit just yesterday with a couple, and um, they were in for their second visit. And the the husbands are usually pretty quiet. Sometimes they don't even want to come. But I encourage them to come. And so I got him to come because I wanted to review his semen analysis. So he's there. And and he's, um, you know, just kind of sitting there quiet. He's got his hat down and she's all excited. <laughs> um, but I said, you know, can we talk about you for a minute? And he's like, okay. And I had the opportunity to talk to him about what he eats. And he's, he kind of looked at me and said, I'm fine. I'm fine. Like, he was like, I kind of just don't want to talk about it. So I took a little detour and, and then I came back to it. And I said, do you eat out for lunch every day? And he goes, yeah, with the guys at work, I eat out for lunch. And I do fine. He goes, uh, you know, when we eat Chinese food, I just try not to eat too many fried foods. And I go, okay, well, let's talk about all of the places you go for lunch. And so he just sat there and listed all the places he went for lunch. And we went through each of those places and talked about practical ways to improve what he's eating out every day for his lunch. And... By the time, just by asking him to just list out where he eats, he then just opened up about his diet. And Mm -hmm. I found out he drinks a soda every day with his meal. And I said, that's no problem. We can work with soda. But maybe instead of every day, we go to twice a week. And on the other days, you do some iced tea. So it's just like I wanted to make it. I knew he didn't want to talk about himself. Mm -hmm. So I just needed to sort of neutralize that conversation and meet him in a place where he felt comfortable. And after about, you know, 15 minutes, we were able to make some progress. And right after that visit, they went off to Whole Foods and they bought themselves a few supplements. And I just felt like, okay, I met them where they were. We didn't make huge leaps and bounds, but I bet this week he's going to think about where the guy, where he's eating and what he's eating. Exactly. I think, you know, in having a conversation like that, you open the door. And I think by talking about it, you, even though you may feel that it, it's not healthy as like a person who's eating like that, yeah, you know, yeah. 
to actually hear someone else say it and mirror that, I think it kind of promotes some more action. May I ask you, yeah. do you feel like in traditional medicine, like if someone's having issues with fertility, is life li- is lifestyle being discussed enough? Or is it ever discussed? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, um, I haven't spent a lot of time in other clinics, but I can tell you before I worked, so I worked at PAMP for Palo Alto Medical Foundation for 10 years and didn't do a whole lot of fertility there. Um But prior to that, I worked in a fertility clinic in Los Gatos for five years, and we incorporated nothing about diet, nothing about lifestyle. Um, And so I think there's probably, in in little pockets of fertility care, I think there's probably practices that do it well, that have nurses or health coaches um, that help guide the patient through lifestyle. But I would say that probably, and this is just a guess, 80% of fertility practices or, you know, REI specialty practices don't necessarily incorporate a lot of um, non-Western principles. Because I think sometimes in corporate medicine, you know, Time is it. Time is the resource that we don't have. That's right. And sometimes those important factors like lifestyle modifications are overlooked for the and then the hyper focus on the problem. And the problem may need like procedures, and mm-hmm. but you know maybe perhaps not immediately. Exactly. You know? Well, and and you may get fifteen to twenty minutes with the patient, and that's generous. Yeah. And like I just mentioned, that conversation around diet and lifestyle change took me about fifteen minutes. And so if you're going to incorporate the pieces about the procedure as well as all of the lifestyle elements that can, you know, really improve outcomes, um, you're gonna need more time. I absolutely agree. And so how you make that time and how you how you structure your practice in a way that um, puts emphasis on the resources of lifestyle management makes all the difference. Totally. And corporate medicine at, in, the, in this current moment is not structured in a way that allows for that to happen. And I think that investment of time into discussion is can be absolutely life-changing. Yeah. Oh, and it's such a... It's such a poignant moment because the women coming at this time in their life are vulnerable and they are ready to hear what they need to do procedure-wise and lifestyle-wise. And they make changes. Um, People quit smoking. People stop drinking. Um, People stop eating packaged foods because if because what they're coming to me for, which is to have a baby, to be the goal. Six, yeah, the goal. And I always phrase it as the goal is to get you pregnant, but also to take you through a healthy pregnancy. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not just like A to B pregnant, see you later. It's getting through a healthy pregnancy and having a healthy baby. Yeah. Live baby at a the li- end. <laughs> yes, yeah. And I think patients appreciate that because it's not so segmented. Mm-hmm. And I think that's another part of Western medicine that we see, you know, some challenges right now is just the segmentation, you know, more of just compartmentalizing what everybody does. And so what I've made a concerted effort in in my in my current practice is to really integrate um 
other professionals, other modalities, and really connect with some amazing other women practitioners in our community that have been doing this work for a long time. But when you get all of these brilliant women with experience together in one place, we can all make the practice richer Mm -hmm. and what we can provide to women even that much better. Change can be more effective. Exactly. Can I ask you, Mm -hmm. and you brought this up, but are carbs bad for fertility? (laughs) Great question. Carbs are not bad. The type of carbs that we eat can can be not great for fertility. So, you know, very basically comp, Complex carbs are things like brown rice, quinoa, um, unprocessed whole wheat um, foods. When we think of simple carbs, then we're thinking of cakes and breads and donuts and um, and those sugar. Ca- sugar basically at mm-hmm. the at the end of the day, it's sugar. So what I say is, I say I do not tell people. There's nothing, you know, I don't say you can't have carbs. What I say is let's talk about what you eat. And we go through. Again, I'm coming to where they're at. I'm not saying you can't do this, this, or that, or this is the list of off, off, um, off the table foods. What I'm saying is let's talk about what you eat and let's talk about how we can make it even that much more fertility friendly. Mm-hmm. And so I do have several patients right now who eat a lot of rice. And so what white I, rice, yeah, mm-hmm. white rice. So I've moved them in to, Asian. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and so I moved them over to brown rice and quinoa, mm-hmm. and and um, a lot of my PCOS patients can make that jump. Mm-hmm. That is doable for them. But if I said you can't have any rice, that would they that would be really hard, and almost not attainable. So carbs are not bad. And they're not off limits, but just to boil that a little bit down further, the better, more fertility-friendly carbs are going to be the complex carbs, Mm -hmm. like sweet potato, brown rice, quinoa, um, those kinds of choices. So what we really, what we eat really affects our fertility then? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Is that the number one problem, do you think? I think probably the top, there's a tie between the number one problem. Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's diet. And I think it's stress. I think stress has a huge effect on our fertility. And I think that that is probably getting worse year by year, even regardless of the pandemic. I mean, this year has been, you know, off the charts for stress, um, especially for women. Um, And I I think that's really global, too. It's global. Yeah. It's global. For everything, actually, for all illnesses. Yeah. So I think that's another piece of, you know, the integrative approach that I take that's really important Mm -hmm. is talking about how to reduce stress. And, um, you know, you can't just say you need to be less stressed. Yeah. And and move on. You have to have a real conversation about it Mm -hmm. because telling a woman that has, you know, that's working, that's homeschooling her children, that's trying to get pregnant with her third child and having trouble, um, asking them just to decrease stress is is kind of an insult. (laughs) Exactly. Because sometimes I think stress is like a badge of honor that we like to show, but it it kills us. Yeah. Oh, it's so bad for our bodies. And so instead of, again, just saying that one-liner, decrease stress, 
and and on to the next topic, we talk about what is stressful in their mm-hmm. lives. And the same patient couple that I saw yesterday, I said, because her her word was, words were that I'm really stressed. And I said, well, let's talk about what's stressing you out. And she's a mom and she works and she goes to full-time school. Yeah. <laughs> and so she's like, I'm very stressed. It's finals right now. And I said, well, it's almost summer. What does your summer look like? And she said, well, I'm going to take summer school. And I said, do you have the luxury to maybe just take one class and to just really allow yourself some time this summer to not be as stressed? And she said, you know what? That's really doable. Mm -hmm. I said, because the next three or four months that we're working together, I would like your stress to be thoughtfully as low as it can be. Oh, my gosh. You bring up so many amazing points. I just wanted to ask you, you know, I would love to speak about stress a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of the diet component, yeah. you know, whole grains, um, they have antioxidant as well as anti-inflammatory properties mm-hmm. that promote fertility. Yes, right? absolutely. And is it associated with higher live birth rates? It is. Yeah, it is. I think what what you're going for is you want to make sure you have lots of fiber, Mm-hmm. in your diet because not only is is there good nutrition but it also allows us to eliminate toxins in our bodies and we're getting a lot of toxins through our foods through um, the things we put on our body and we use around our household items and so you know detoxing our body and I don't mean like a detox like a juice cleanse or mm-hmm. like a liver cleanse I mean more like just what goes in either through our skin or what we come in contact with, or what we eat, mm-hmm. and what comes out. Like thinking about what you're eating. Exactly. And the fiber. Lifetime detox. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and the fiber in whole grains and complex carbs and fresh fruits and vegetables, mm-hmm. um, those really help pull some of those um, extra estrogens out of our body and toxins that really are not fertility mm-hmm. like friendly. Like the garbage exactly. in our body. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know. I don't necessarily always want to talk about bowel movements, but it's something we do need. I to- do. I love it. <laughs> we do need to talk about it. I mention it all it. the time. Yes. Yeah, we need to talk about We need that's to talk it. about what goes in and what comes out and how often that's happening. Exactly. It's, I think it's the biggest indicator of health. Yeah. Like what your poop looks like, how often you're going. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Because who hasn't felt better from a bowel movement, no. you know? Yeah. And, and so I think getting, you know, making sure that the, the diet is allowing you to, to have a bowel movement every day um, and that you're keeping your water intake up. So that's really important mm-hmm. um, because you can't really move that fiber through effectively without, a, you know, good hydration. Um, so I think, you know, absolutely there's good nutrients in the foods that we've talked about, but it's also about taking out the elements in our body and, and what we've been exposed to, even if we have, we feel like we have clean beauty. And even if we try and eat organic, Mm -hmm. um, there are still many things in our environment. Um, even just touching receipts a lot, Mm -hmm. you get, you absorb, um, certain chemicals Mm -hmm. and those we need to eliminate from our body or i heard even like the containers that the food's in if it's plastic and out in the sun absolutely or tupperware yeah so all of those things that we don't necessarily the average person doesn't necessarily even know that they're doing um 
can be helped by eating plenty of fiber. Mm -hmm. And if so, carbs are not bad, but we want to definitely eat carbs that have that are rich in good, Mm -hmm. good foods that haven't had lots of processing to get those minerals and vitamins and antioxidants out. So unprocessed and rich in fiber. To promote and maintain the health. Exactly. Can I ask you, how do you feel about gluten on for, uh, fertility? Great question. So um, I typically talk about gluten to all my patients, um, but I'm definitely not gluten-free myself. And I definitely don't um, recommend that all my patients go gluten-free. I think that's a big ask. Mm-hmm. Um a lot of my patients actually come from Western medicine. So they they aren't super well primed. They don't even really know what the big deal is mm-hmm. about gluten, most of my patients. Um, but for fertility, I have the conversation with them because I think that, that gluten, my feeling is that gluten can be very inflammatory. Mm-hmm. And so if somebody is eating a lot of gluten, um, I like to encourage them to decrease that gluten starting from the beginning. Just decrease it. Mm-hmm. I don't say go off of it. I just want them to decrease it. And as I meet with women, we develop more and more of a relationship because I think that relationship is very important. And I don't think my feel my feeling about that will ever change. Um, and it is. It's kind of like the provider is like a lifesaver you know you're like grabbing onto like a lifesaver to help you show you yeah. the way or a guide yeah you know exactly. what I, I talk to patients <laughs> and I say I'm your river guide yeah I'm your river guide we're going to go down like a class three river together some parts of this river of fertility are going to be bumpy mm-hmm. some are going to be smooth you never know when those bumps are going to come up but I've gone down this river hundreds of times I know where the bumps are I know where the big rapids are, and I'm going to prep you so that you know what to expect, and I will steer you on course so that they know they're in the boat, Mm -hmm. and they get to make decisions about which fork we go down, but that I know both forks, and I know how to steer them through them. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of how I explain it. More, less of like a... And I love that. I think that's a really great description. Yeah, because we're both in the same boat. Mm -hmm. You know, we're partners. And we're both trying. We're both trying. We're both partners. Um, The goal is ultimately the same for both parties to get you pregnant. Yeah, to get you pregnant. To have a viable pregnancy. Yeah, exactly. And a safe, healthy baby. Yeah. So, um, so gluten. So, I usually, we got off a little track because mm-hmm. I think the relationship is really important and I established that right on. So gluten I talk about at the very first visit and I say, let's try and cut down on some gluten. And then as we progress, I try and see if they're able to come off of gluten mm-hmm. because I do think it is inflammatory and I think it's not great for fertility. And yeah. if and if they can, I and I, I really promote a whole foods sort of Mediterranean style Mm -hmm. diet without giving them lists of do this, don't do this. Yeah, that's harder to do, I think. Yeah. I think sometimes it's like really obvious. Like with celiac disease, yeah, definitely no gluten. Mm -hmm. But I've read that women on like the autoimmune disease spectrum, Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. um, thyroid disease or endometriosis or even recurrent miscarriages, it's it's recommended more to lower the gluten or gluten-free. Yeah, I absolutely, you know, if... If every patient could come in and go gluten-free, mm-hmm. I would love that. But the reality is, is that not everybody can do that. And that is sometimes an ask that I can make, but won't. But then patients will feel like they can't do it. And yeah. I don't want them to feel incapable. I want them to feel empowered. 
I'm just laughing because I'm like thinking as an immigrant, sometimes I need my pizza. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. And I'm the same way. Like I, what, you know, asking me to go gluten free, yeah. it's a big ask for me. So for me just to think that that's an easy ask mm-hmm. for somebody. So again, so gluten, I think. But if a, there's a goal. If there's a goal. Pregnancy. Yes. Mm-hmm. I would love for, for my, yeah. my patients to be gluten free. Mm-hmm. I would also like them to be dairy free. So I didn't know if that was your next question, but <laughs> dairy is another thing that I like women to um, avoid during during mm-hmm. the fertility journey. And, and that's um, mainly because of the hormones in dairy. So even if you're, you're eating um, organic dairy, full fat dairy, which is great, um, it has a lot of hormones because, mm-hmm. right, it's from the breast – of a cow. Yeah. And that is hormone. Another live animal. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that is hormone. Even if you're doing, you know, no antibiotic dairy, it's still hormone rich because it's from an animal and it's hormone um, sensitive liquid. So if patients can go off gluten and dairy, I am like A++. <laughs> but if they can't, I also support them through their journey without that, mm-hmm. without having to go full off. If they can't, like, let's say they want to drink milk, is it better to drink whole milk or the mm-hmm. skim? Full full fat, mm-hmm. organic. Okay. Yeah, full fat, organic, and then... Because um, it's less processed? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Exactly. And, I, I mean, if they're going to have some dairy, I just kind of say, what are your favorite dairy pieces? Like, let's just stick to those. Like, if yeah. you just absolutely are a cottage cheese person or you're absolutely mm-hmm. a cheese person, but you could pass on the milk or you can substitute some other type of milk in your tea or coffee, then let's go that way. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like we're so busy in our lives. Like we're kind of a culture where we reach for things. And Mm -hmm. sometimes I think when reaching for things, sometimes it's easy to reach for cheese because you think, oh, it's a protein. Yes. But then it's like we overeat certain things. It's true. Yeah. And and eggs are not off, Mm -hmm. off at all. So I really would love all my pregnant ladies. That's one of the fertility superfoods. Mm-hmm. So fertility superfoods would be like avocados, mm-hmm. um, like really good sources of oils, like olive oil, avocado oil. Um, berries are great, but they need to be organic. So mm-hmm. berries are all berries are heavily um, pesticide mm-hmm. um, exposed, and so I really recommend that you spend the money on organic farmed berries. Um, I love beans. And good bowel movement. Yeah, there you go. More fiber. I love beans and legumes for women. Um, and what was the other f- food that we were just talking about that brought me to this? Milk, dairy, milk, dairy, eggs. Oh, eggs. Okay. Yeah, organic pasture raised uh-huh. eggs mm-hmm. are one of the b- most amazing um, superfoods for fertility. That's cool. That's amazing. Yeah. Can I ask you, Do eat, does eating more plants increase pregnancy rates? It does. So a plant-based diet mm-hmm. or a Mediterranean-style diet um, is super healthy just for the same reasons we talked about, mm-hmm. mainly because it, um, it has less preservatives. It um, has less inflammatory effects. And it um, is able to clear toxins from the body so mm-hmm. much better. The increased fiber intake. Then. Exactly. Okay. And all of the rich minerals and vitamins. Mm-hmm. So I am a real proponent to um, to getting all the vitamins and minerals we need 
from our diet. Mm -hmm. But because of the way that food is farmed and, and made these days, not as many of the minerals are in the food now that were in the food, say, 50 years ago. So the way that we that we process food is just not mm-hmm. the same or farm the soils. Mm-hmm. Um, and so absolutely it, it, it does increase birth rates and fertility rates. Um, the one caveat I would say, another really important, which is not a plant-based food, is salmon. Mm-hmm. So fish, low mercury fish intake is really, really great for fertility rates. Um, and so, and sometimes I, it's like the littler fish, right? Yeah, in terms of mercury content. Yes, basically the non-predatory mm-hmm. fish. So, um, so I recommend women to eat at least two servings of of salmon, good quality salmon, mm-hmm. every single week. Okay, that's a great idea. Yeah, and I say if you eat salmon for dinner, you don't need to take your omega three that night. <laughs> you know, it's about it's getting from the food. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. If I may ask you, so alternatively, does eating red meat decrease your pregnancy rate or fertility? I think it depends on how much you eat mm-hmm. and where it's from. So I think if it's, I think when you're eating, when you're choosing your meats in general, red meat, um, poultry, even fish, you have to choose good quality. Um, and so if you're getting it from, you know, gra- you're getting grass mm-hmm. fed, sourced, organic meats you're gonna that's good that's great that's fine but if you're getting you know your costco huge thing of ground beef and you have no idea where it's from and it it's not packaged or Mm -hmm. labeled to be grass-fed organic i think that's probably off the the list of things that are going to help fertility Mm -hmm. and again if it's once in a while Again, like once a month, that's one thing. But if you're having, you know, hamburgers and tacos every single week and you're using poorly sourced meat, Mm -hmm. that's not going to help your fertility rates because of all sorts of reasons. But one of them is inflammatory, but also the toxins that are in in Mm -hmm. that meat. Because it's kind of like the milk that you described in dairy intake, right? Mm -hmm. Like dairy products, you were saying there's hormones in there because it's from a live animal. Yep. Same as meat. Yeah. And there's antibiotics mm-hmm. in in the way that we we farm our agriculture and uh, livestock. So there's lots of antibiotics that are used in, in chickens, um, the way we raise chickens and cows and, and pigs and pork. So um, so that's when you think of the liquid part of dairy, you think of hormones. Mm-hmm. And when you think of the meat part of the meat of the animal, you think more of antibiotics and, um, and also the truth is 80% of the antibiotics produced in the U S go to our animals. They do. That's amazing. That's just, yeah, it's shocking. It's shocking that that's, yeah, I was doing some driving down to LA and cause you don't see those feed farms just out in California very often, but I had to drive out down to LA for, Bakersville. <laughs> yeah. And I saw these feedlots and I was yeah. appalled. Like I was appalled. And and the problem is, is we don't get to see it. Yeah. And so we just go to the grocery store. Um, so. But even smelling it is bad enough. You yeah. Know, like, oh, yeah. The amount of 
methane or even cow poop, you know. Exactly. Yeah, it's overwhelming, actually, driving through there. It is. It is overwhelming. It's like you have to stop and go, okay, I'm almost through it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, so if we have to hold our noses going through there, then what are we putting into our that's bodies? That's right. You know? And, I mean, it sounds so so cliche to say, you know, the happiness of the animal. But I really do think that when you when you consume meat from an animal that has been extremely stressed, it's probably not the best thing you want to put in your body. Yeah. I mean, we know that even in our own humanly health that like stress goes down to the cellular level. Mm -hmm. Like, yes. Why not an animal? Mm -hmm. And we're putting it into our body. Our body is absorbing those hormones. So, you know, I was raised on steak and potatoes. I'm an Asian. Like, I love bulgogi. You know, like, (laughs) I was, it makes you think. Yeah. And I was raised by a single mom myself. She could yeah. not afford organic, you know. Um, and so a lot of what I've learned about this is is new yeah. to me. It's new. Probably just in the last five to ten years of me just really seeking what is best. And I have, I have been able to um, distill out some of the things that I think are really important. Mm-hmm. And, and. I make sure that when I make my asks to my patients, they realize that I realize that these are big asks. Because I think if I just say, do this, 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 and this, and I don't meet them where they are, then they think, she doesn't know what she's talking about. Mm-hmm. She's just she's just giving me a list of to-dos. But when I say, let's talk about your lunch, it brings their them into the conversation. Because I think, you know, when patients come to you, they come for the goal of, you know, becoming pregnant, Mm -hmm. you know, increasing their fertility. Yes. But I think these changes are so life-changing. They could carry on these lessons for the rest of their lives. It's so true. Oh, it's so true. What's the number one killer in the U.S.? Coronary artery disease, heart attacks. Yeah, diabetes. I mean, there's so many comorbidities that we can, at at this really important time where we have an active listener make some changes. And I used to do this also Mm -hmm. when I was practicing midwifery and seeing pregnant women all the time. Um, We would talk about these things and we would make changes during pregnancy and that then they could continue postpartum and into their life. So um, I started mainly with my lifestyle change recommendations very gently in pregnancy um, and then was just able to kind of expand that in into my fertility work. I love that. So how stressed are the women who come to see you? Um, right now, uh, on the spectrum, very stressed. Mm-hmm. And is it primarily like the pregnancy aspect? Because I would imagine that would, infertility would definitely contribute. Yeah. And then there is. Amazingly, it's, they're having a really hard time finding care mm-hmm. right now. And so a lot of people are feeling um, they're stressed about their fertility, absolutely, because they're looking for fertility assistance. Mm -hmm. So they're stressed about that. But by the time they've found their way to me, they have been searching. They've been asking for referrals um, and or they've been on wait list for six months to get into a fertility clinic. So a lot of women are really stressed around just getting care. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think, I think that the whole COVID piece of things and the whole just rat race of our society is um, something that 
they underestimate. And so, again, it's an opportunity for me to talk through what their river, their journey is going to look like and how there are ways that we can plan to take this river journey together in a season where you can set some boundaries Mm -hmm. for the things that are stressful in your life and make some small adjustments um, to make this journey together more efficient, more successful, and a little more enjoyable. Exactly. I think even like the constant state of distraction, it's like we live in a society now with like our devices. Yeah. We could be on our computer having five different discussions with five different people. Yes. You know, and when you're doing it like that, like what are you really focusing on, you know? Yeah. Like what discussion or what your your work that you're doing, it's it's stressful in itself. It is. And I think it's so many places where your face can turn, but you're not looking your one direction, your primary direction. Oh, we live in just like this hyperactive society. So you know what I've started to do is um, I'm like really a documentary nerd. (laughs) I really am. Okay. Just being so honest. And so every few months I watch the documentary Minimalism. Oh, really? Yeah. And I recommend it to my patients, too. And it's not because I live a minimalism Mm -hmm. life. If you came to my house, I have three kids. Like, we don't live necessarily. But it grounds me and it refocuses where the importance in life should be. Mm -hmm. And it allows me just to go, oh, I just get back on track, you know. And, And I do like a little clean out and I do, you know, reassess the important things in life mm-hmm. and what I, what has kind of snuck in because it, it can be very tricky where things that you wouldn't ever intended on bringing into your life, energy, stress, projects that don't really bring you joy, yeah. sneak in. And so every few months, and as I was driving over here, I thought it's time to, to watch minimalism again. I'll watch it tonight. Too. Yeah. It's so good. It's on Netflix. It's most people have Netflix and, um, and I just, and it's, it doesn't have like any healthcare mm-hmm. focus at all. It's just a way of thinking about life that is kind of on the opposite spectrum of what we, what the kind of mainstream current culture is. Yeah. Because don't you wonder with like the busyness of our lives, like how many of us are actually in the driver's seat of our car? You know, like yeah. the car of life. Like how many of us are really in that driver's seat mm-hmm. focused on the road? We don't know? even, yeah. And yeah. we don't even necessarily have the option to be always. Mm-hmm. And I mean that not because we are like in a victim way, but I think that, if you just kind of walk through life without pausing enough and without resetting what your goals are, it's very easy to get wrapped up in what the neighbors are doing mm-hmm. or what social media people are doing. The and distraction. The distraction. Yeah. Coming back to the dist- We get mm-hmm. distracted. And so I think we all have to find tools in our lives to sort of refocus ourselves. And that's just one practical, super practical thing I do. Um, A lot of people meditate, which I think is an amazing discipline, even just five minutes a day. Mm -hmm. um, Like literally getting back into your body. Into your body without distraction. Mm -hmm. Like no phone. Shutting out the shit. Shutting (laughs) out the shit. Exactly. Absolutely. (laughs) 
wonderful. And, you know, this is what always surprised me in primary care. There are so many people who are anxious and depressed, and they don't realize that it affects one's health. And I would imagine it would affect one's fertility as well. Absolutely, 100%. Um, And that, you know, unfortunately, that's another part of Western medicine that we're not necessarily serving patients best with. Yeah, I think, you know, psychiatry counseling, they're overwhelmed because of many issues. Many issues. And it's so multifactorial. Um, And so I think um, lots of patients come. I wouldn't say my current, like a a lot of my current patients are having a lot of depression, um, but I would say that they're very anxious. Mm -hmm. I think that there's a high state of anxiety right now just because of what's going on in our country and globally um, with the pandemic. And I mean, even right now when things seem to just be improving, you know, um, vaccines are are rolling out nicely um, and people are being able to unmask and that kind of thing. Like it looks promising. Yeah, it'll help, I think, with yeah. how we all feel. Yeah, I think it will. But I think that there's trepidation. Yeah. You know, there's like, gosh, when is the other shoe going to drop? At least that's exactly. how I feel. Like the PTSD from yes. what we suffered. Yeah. Yeah. And I have a, a patient that I just saw last week and she's in the healthcare field. And she said, you know, I'm excited to see the progress we're making, but I'm still very anxious that we're going to go backwards mm-hmm. because I think we're all just ready for things to improve. And um, it's been a long haul, and we're all feeling kind of burnt and crispy, crispy from it. At least those in the, those of us in the healthcare field, especially in corporate medicine. Um, and we just we know a lot of people are suffering. A lot of people are suffering from not being able to work, or and the kids are suffering. Elderly are suffering. There's just a lot of suffering. And I think for you know very compassionate healthcare providers, that really weighs on us. Exactly, especially when there's no time. Yeah. The resource of time. Yeah, the resource of time. Yeah. yeah. May I ask you, I think sometimes there are, you know, there are, you know, uh, times when one does really need to be on an antidepressant. Yeah. How does that affect, you know, your work as a, you know, fertilis- fertility specialist? Yeah. So I think if somebody really does need to be on an antidepressant, they need to be on an antidepressant. So I think there are some really nice um, integrative approaches that we can use prior to that. But if that doesn't do the trick, so to speak, or bring women or men out of their depressive episode, then we absolutely do need to use the medications that we have as a resource. Um, So I fully support women, whether they're postpartum or not even seeking fertility or seeking fertility, if they absolutely need an antidepressant, I support them in that. And I think the truth is promoting these lifestyle changes will also, while on the medication, mm-hmm. help you to feel better. Yes, absolutely. And many of us are not doing these lifestyle changes. No, You know, absolutely. either in fertility issues or in in our normal lives, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is a shame. And sometimes we just, the other the other thing I think is to consider using an antidepressant while you start to get really healthy. Mm -hmm. And so some women are so depressed or so anxious that they're not able to sort of get their feet beneath them to get them sort of holistic care and a holistic life change um, in a depressed state. Yeah. And so if we can get them feeling better, start to, you know, get them eating better, walking every day for 30 minutes, doing five minutes of meditation, 
getting some acupuncture every week, taking, you know, some supplements. Um, and I think talk therapy is really, mm-hmm. really good. So if we can get a woman all of those resources pretty quickly, sometimes they don't need an SSRI. Mm-hmm. But if that's not possible, and frankly, it's hard to get all of those resources quickly mm-hmm. around a woman. I think quickly is never really reasonable because nothing in life is really anything meaningful is that quick. You know, no. I think for change, you really have to work at it. It takes time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's the person who doesn't give up. That's the unusual. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I think you're right. I absolutely yeah. agree. And in any situation, like not feeling like your feet are underneath you, that's not a good situation. You yeah. should always feel like. Yeah. Or know or work towards that feeling where you feel your feet in your body, like you're, yeah. you know, to hold your weight. Yep. Yep. But it's very common for women yeah. who are depressed or anxious to feel disassociated from their body. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I agree. I think, I think there's, and again, I like to individualize situations with patients because I pretty much will know after a nice long visit with them, if I think they're able to make some changes and hold off on starting an SSRI or mm-hmm. if, you know, starting an, a low-dose SSRI to start while we implement some changes is going to be workable. Mm-hmm. And may I ask you, how how much does obesity affect um, fertility? Well, um, I, mo- the most obesity I see in my practice is in PCOS patients. Mm-hmm. So patients who have or hormonal imbalances that make it very difficult for them to lose weight um, in in the process of doing these changes. So I can say, these are the things I would like Mm -hmm. you to do. And it just, the hormonal imbalance makes it very difficult for them to lose the weight quickly. Mm -hmm. Because that's really interesting because doesn't obesity increase your risk of PCOS and then PCOS increases it's, your risk of obesity? It's a vicious cycle. Yeah. It's a vicious cycle and it's like the chicken or the egg. Yeah. And so um, so when patients with PCOS come to me wanting to conceive, um, we talk about all of the all of the dietary changes I talked about. The one thing I don't focus on is weight. Mm-hmm. I don't even have a scale in my office. And some might, people might think that is you know, that's so ir- humane, <laughs> irresponsible, but I can get so much more information yeah. about their weight and health by asking them questions. And they already carry their, their stigma from they do. that. You they know? do. Like, and they've already seen probably three or four healthcare providers mm-hmm. that have shamed them. Yeah. And it's kind of ironic because, you know, some they're shaming, but there's no process in helping them to change their lives. Right. You know? Yeah. And so my focus is to empower them and, um, and instead of weighing them, I ask them how they're, after time, mm-hmm. I ask them how their clothes are fitting. That's how I figure out if they're losing their weight. Wonderful. And so, um, so obesity, I would say definitely, you know, makes its way into my fertility practice. Um, most of the time it has to do with PCOS. And so I treat those patients um, with a very integrative approach. All my PCOS patients see acupuncture. Um they go on a very specialized supplement plan. And then I do a lot of coaching with them, a lot of handholding. So it's not like, okay, these are the things I want you to do. Peace out. It's like, 
I'll see you back in two weeks. And I do a lot of coaching Mm. and uh, encouragement. And that allows them to have good days with me when they show up. And also days where they just need to cry. Yeah. And so I give them hope. I gave them encouragement. I'm their little cheerleader. And right now we, you know, I have two PCOS Mm -hmm. patients that worked a full year before, before really trying to conceive to get their health in line Um, because we want a healthy pregnancy, Mm -hmm. not just a positive pregnancy test. Definitely. Um, How important is exercise for your patients then? I think exercise is important for everybody. Um, I think um, getting out and getting fresh air and sunlight and getting our heart pumping is important for everybody. Um, Instead of prescribing, for say, or recommending, you know, some vigorous exercise program, I really like my patients to do 30 minutes of walking every day outside. So that's what I like them to do. I don't want them to do, you know, three spin classes a week. (laughs) Or like super duper high intensity hot yoga or Pilates. So I think it's important, but I think the type mm-hmm. of exercise is important. Um, and I've I've worked with patients who over exercise too. Mm-hmm. So I've seen both ends of the spectrum. So I think the way we do movement and what type of movement we do is important not only in prepping for fertility, but also in pregnancy. Yeah. So. And- I think we talked about being overweight as an issue, but so also being underweight yeah. affects one's fertility too. Yes, absolutely. And I've seen both ends yeah. of the spectrum. I see both ends of the spectrum on a weekly basis. And so, you know, coming at that same conversation with somebody who's over-exercising and underweight is just as sensitive as coming to the same conversation with somebody who's overweight and not exercising. Mm-hmm. So um, I just think, again, meeting patients where they're at And coming up with a realistic plan that they can implement. So, you know, for, I can think of a patient right off the top of my, my head that I've seen who was, was doing spin classes a couple times a day and she was very fit. A couple times a day? Yeah. Cause she was a teacher. Wow. She was a fitness teacher. Okay. So it was part of her livelihood to teach these, (laughs) Uh these, um, spin classes. And so I couldn't tell her to quit, you know? Um, so Luckily, I know how to spend myself. And I said, okay, so that whole resistance thing needs to come down. (laughs) And, you know, so again, just like, and I want, when you do, when you teach your hot Pilates, I need you to be walking around and helping people as opposed to doing every pose throughout the entire. Mm -hmm. So again, not telling her she has to quit her job, not telling her, I mean, to go from somebody who's like a super athlete, which I would say she's a super athlete because she is, <laughs> um, to do no exercise, that yeah. is completely unrealistic. That's like asking somebody who doesn't do any exercise that you need to start going to the gym and doing high intensity classes mm-hmm. five times a week. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. And it's not healthy. So I, um, so I think, you know, movement and the type of movement is really important. I really, really like to incorporate yoga mm-hmm. into, um, into the movement plan for women. Um, even just uh, restorative yoga. Yeah. Is lovely. It's kind of like movement meditation. So yeah, stress management. Yeah. So for the way, so like to me, it's a twofer. So anytime in these busy lives that we can find something where we can get movement 
improve flexibility, stress management, and get ready for bed. Love that. To me, that's like a no-brainer. So I I, I think it's like work smarter, not harder. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of what I try and do with my patients is sort of get an idea and get a feel for how they lead their lives and try and pick the low-hanging fruit where I can make some suggestions, some loving suggestions about how they can improve those aspects of their lives um, while we move down the path of fertility mm-hmm. and how we can um, really optimize what we're going to do with their plan by doing, by addressing these lifestyle mm-hmm. modifications. Love that. And I don't call them lifestyle modifications, by what the way. What do you call them? You know, I don't really call them anything. I say, let's talk about what you eat for lunch. Living. Living, yeah. I don't really talk, you know, I don't really call them anything because I just want it to be a natural conversation. I think our basics are really off, you know, with yeah. the busyness of our lives. Yeah, the ba- and and, yeah. and 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 the basics are off in medicine in, yeah. in general. We don't mention the basics in medicine. No, you know, we don't. So, how do toxins affect fertility, like smoking, drinking, uh, marijuana, <laughs> caffeine? Good question. Um, so, ideally, we're not smoking ever. <laughs> Right. I mean, smoking is bad for so many reasons. It's the number one thing that Mm -hmm. smokers can do to improve their health immediately. And the good news is, is when you stop smoking, you know, your body heals itself quite quickly. So it's kind of one of those things that if you can, if you can get a patient in a moment of, okay, I guess I really do need to kick this habit. And they do. That's probably the best thing you've done for their health for their entire life. Yeah, before the cancer before, grows. Exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so smoking is obviously not something mm-hmm. we want any fertility um, patient to be doing or any partner to be doing. Yeah, interesting, uh, yeah. So again, holistic care, looking at the partner as well. Mm-hmm. Because doesn't it increase like one's, um, you know, doesn't it promote menopause, early menopause? And yeah, it causes a lot of yeah. oxidative. More miscarriages. A lot of oxidative damage. Mm-hmm. And so it just makes our cells and our organs mm-hmm. and much about our body just not function properly. Yeah. And, and you know, the miracle of, of health. And it also ages eggs, mm-hmm. you know. So the, and decreases sperm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I guess sperm quality, quality right? Quality, yeah. And, and number. Mm-hmm. So morphology is all very, imp- you know, affected by toxins in general, but smoking is a huge toxin. So I think smoking in general is off the table. And, you know, really, if you can use the opportunity of fertil- of seeking fertility care as a motivator for um, stopping smoking, that that would that's the best thing you can do. Drinking, I think, you know, a lot of people just drink, you know, one or two beers or two glasses of wine a night. It's amazing when mm-hmm. you when when you connect. Like pre-pregnancy, you mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just part of, it's just part of our culture. Yeah. And, um, and I think when you just hand somebody like a questionnaire, they don't always answer it honestly. Yeah. And so I ask it on the questionnaire, but then I also, once we have a good rapport, I ask it in, in my visit and we talk about, because sometimes it's even, um, alcohol kombucha, which they feel Mm -hmm. like is maybe healthy. And, you know, so, so I think that 
when it comes down to alcohol, um, I definitely would rather patients not be drinking every night. If anything, um, I'd like, they can drink like one, one glass of wine, um, or one alcoholic beverage a week. Mm -hmm. Um, so I kind of say, if you can come down to not, you know, drinking every night that that's going to be best for you. And most, most of my women patients know that, but most of the partners aren't, aren't aware that they really, that their sperm count can be affected by alcohol. Interesting. Um, Marijuana, I do recommend, you know, um, stopping marijuana, even edibles. Um, I do recommend that. And I don't think there's been a lot of research on marijuana because it's been illegal for the longest yeah. time. But it does decrease fertility. It right? does. Yeah. Definitely decreases fertility. It definitely decreases sperm quality. Yeah. And, um, and you know, there are people who do it rec- recreationally, like, just one or two times a week, mm-hmm. but a lot of people also use it daily. And so if it's something that we can, you know, again, it's about making good choices during this time. And so if, if it's something that they can try and step away from, or at least decrease during their, um, the, during their journey, I'd much rather prefer that. Mm-hmm. And, and cause I want to get them feeling well. Why are they smoking marijuana every night? Exactly. Why are they the why? Why are they eating marijuana every night? That's what I want to get to the root cause of, because there's a reason for that. And I think there's a root cause for all of these things. Oh, for everything: smoking, drinking, or even overeating sugar. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, smoking, alcohol, marijuana. What was the next? Caffeine. 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 You know. Caffeine actually has some good qualities to it. Mm-hmm. So it is a powerful antioxidant. Um, if you drink too much caffeine, it can affect um, fertility and it can increase miscarriage rate. So, um, and my acupuncturist colleagues would much prefer patients not drink caffeine. At all? Or, well, I would say coffee. Okay. And I don't know why they think that, but mm-hmm. I will. I probably could ask every acupuncture and 10 out of 10 acupuncturist would tell me no coffee. Um, so green tea is great. Um, so I actually say to my patients, because I'm a coffee lover, so I feel <laughs> I like it's hard to ask. That's a hard ask too. Um, patients can let it go. It's mm-hmm. Sometimes they can let that go, but they can't let their one glass of wine go. Yeah. So if they can let it go, great. Um, if they can't let it go, then I just say, you know, one cup, and I mean just one cup, you know, this size per day is great. Um, and then green tea is lovely if you need just a afternoon pick me up. But I'd like them to drink it before noon. Mm-hmm. Because one thing we haven't talked about, which it's is really sleep, important, right? is sleep. Yeah. So, um, so just to back up a little bit more on toxins. So I like my patients to also go, go organic mm-hmm. if that's financially possible. And so I usually go over the dirty dozen and the clean 15 because those are the, those are the lists that provide sort of the fresh, the fruits and vegetables that are least, least concentrated with pesticides. Um, and so those are some other toxins that I think that are is a good thing to to veer from, as well as beauty products. I don't always have time to talk about mm-hmm. personal beauty products, but a lot of what we put on our skin um, is is toxins, and and they have um, 
phenoestrogens in them, which then, you know, compete with our own endogenous estrogen. And that can be a real problem. Mm -hmm. Um, So trying to incorporate all of that into a visit is a lot. Um, And so utilizing health coaches in my practice is something that I'm striving to do. Mm -hmm. Somebody who can, you know, I can touch on it as a provider, but then somebody who can really coach them through. Taking the time to invest in the change. Yeah, exactly. So just to kind of finish up that conversation Mm -hmm. is there is a, there are a lot of toxins um, that we are exposed to through food and through our environment um, that I think are worthwhile to take a a hard look at Mm -hmm. when we're thinking about fertility. And as we end here, can I ask you, you know, if for those patients who are able to make these life changes, Mm -hmm. how, how effective is it in their like promoting fertility, like to get the end result of pregnancy? Yeah, I think it's extremely effective. Um, I think it's, it's really effective for their life overall. I think these are changes where they will feel themselves feel better. It's an opportunity for Mm -hmm. them to just kind of reset and go back to the basics. And and some of them have not done that because Mm -hmm. they may have been brought up in families like I was that just we ate the standard American diet. And so to have some coaching and to have some accountability um, around that, I think not only it improves their chances of fertility, but it also improves um, improves their health overall and how they raise their children. Um, so I think that it has an everlasting effect on their health, whether they conceive with me or not, because mm-hmm. not everybody conceives with me, you know. So yeah. um, it's just the reality, you know. It's medicine is not a hundred percent, and we can do all of this together. But at the end of the day, you may need to go on to IVF. You may need to go on to higher level fertility. Um, but I will tell them you will have a really good foundation of health when we when you move on from our guided river trip together. Like great foundation. A great foundation. Mm-hmm. Are there a lot of women that come and see you who, who have had children prior? A lot. But now have some infertility? Yes. Wow. Yeah, I see that a lot. That's uh, probably 50-50. Mm-hmm. I probably see it 50-50. But, um, do you think it's more because of lifestyle changes or due to the age of the um, I think it's a combination of mm-hmm. both. But I think that, um, you know, having children changes your life dramatically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? And I think that is a reality that because we fantasize childbearing and having a family so much that we don't realize how much of our life is going to change when we exactly. have that baby. And so I think that... I was just laughing because yesterday <laughs> I was just like wishing my daughter was quiet. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, why don't you just shut up a little bit? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just... Even I had been delivering babies for, I think, five or six years before I had my first. And I just was completely thrown by how how hard it was to be basically taking care of a human 24-7, you know? It is. (laughs) I remember being like, I don't know, two weeks postpartum, and I just leaned over, like, (laughs) on my, like, dining room table, and I said, never again (laughs) will I judge a mother. (laughs) I don't think I've ever, like, cried so much until I had a child, you know? Yeah. So I think, you know, when people come in and they've had one or two kids – 
you know, they're dealing with different challenges yeah. than they were when they didn't have a kid. And it's a long-term challenge. <laughs> it's a long-term challenge. So they're older. Um, they've got more stress in their lives. Um, they're balancing a lot of things and they're giving of themselves a lot. Mm-hmm. And so I think finding their root cause taking some time to really dig and see what's going on with them, with their relationships, with um, their whole picture is really important because it could be a stress thing. It could be an ovulatory thing. It could be an egg quality thing. And remember, guys, the men, they account for 30% of the problems. And so they They are accountable too. they are accountable too. And so, um, so we always have to, we can't forget about the men. So then we check the men's parts and pieces and make sure that, you know, they are also addressing the things that have changed since they've started a family. Yeah. As a partnership. Oh my gosh, Dana, thank you so much for your wealth of knowledge. It was such a fun episode. Thank you so much. Oh, you're so welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you. We are honored that you are continuing to listen to this podcast. Please continue subscribing and tell your friends or write us a great review. Are you looking for a unique perspective to help you gain insight into your health and well-being? Schedule a virtual wellness visit with Dr. Michelle Choi by going to our website, drlostorfound.com. See you next time on another edition of Lost or Found.